so what we'll do is we'll call on the light and chant NIQ three times and go into a guided meditation. So if you want to just bring your body into a comfortable position for this time of meditation. And you might find having your arms and legs uncrossed would assist in this process of focusing inward. It also allows the energy in and around you to move more freely and for any and all things that might wish to be released, to be released and lifted up where you're not holding on to them. But find whatever position that is for you and then begin to bring your attention up to the third eye, up to that very center of your forehead. And just begin to hold your attention there for a moment. Lord God, as we look upward inside, we open to receive your grace, your blessings, your loving. We open in a way of vulnerability to the movement of your spirit. And we ask for that spirit to move in us and around us in such a way as to bring greater awakening and awareness and who we truly are, and for this awakening and awareness to expand into all that we do, that we truly become present in the moment and live each moment in the fullness and in the knowing of who we are as divine love. We invite you into this action, asking for your assistance and asking for your grace to go before us, assisting us in this walk, as we walk through this creation and walk through this lifetime. We ask for your grace to go before us, removing any and all disturbances and distractions, and assisting us as we continue to step forward upon this path of inner awakening. We ask as well that your grace and love move through us as living instruments at this time, extending out and touching all those that are our family, our friends, and all that you wish to touch through us. Just now, let your loving, your light, your healing and grace move in us and through us, out to all those. and assist us in understanding more about being living instruments of loving wherever we go, whoever we're with, whatever we're doing. Let us be living instruments of peace, of joy, of love. And that in this way, we transform ourselves and all that is around us is also transformed all for the highest good, and for this we are grateful.
And as we move into this meditation, I want you to see a pathway before you. Now you may see this pathway, you may feel it, you may move into the knowing of it. Whatever the experience is for you, begin to walk this path that is before you. Let your inner senses come alive and awake. Let the inner sight, the inner feeling, the inner knower begin to awaken and be aware of this pathway and your surroundings. Let yourself see and feel and know the path beneath your feet. Be aware of what it is made of. Is it sand or gravel? Is it concrete? Is it grass? Be aware of your surroundings. What is your environment like here as you walk this inner pathway? You may find yourself in an open field or a forest, thick and green, with beautiful trees and shrubs. Or you may be near an ocean or a lake. And if at this time you are not aware of anything and it seems dark and quiet and filled with nothingness, in your own creative imagination, create your inner kingdom, create your inner path. Be aware that that inner creative ability is a part of your inner senses. So allow yourself to continue walking this pathway. And as you do, you're aware that you're moving towards a beautiful fence that surrounds a garden. And as you walk this pathway and come along the fence, you come up to the gate that leads into the garden. And I want you just to stand outside, looking at the gate for a moment being aware of what it is made of and its design. Look and see if there are symbols, designs, colors. What is it made of? Look at the fence and see as well what that is made of and its design. And as you begin to step forward towards the gate, an angel that is inside the garden opens a gate toward you that you might enter into this garden. Be aware of the beauty of this angelic being. Be aware of the love that is present here with this being of grace and compassion. And just share your love with this angelic presence 
as it shares itself with you as you enter into this garden, this inner garden of beauty and loving. And as you enter into the garden, you're aware of the many pathways that move you through the garden. Just begin to wander these paths, slowly taking your time, being aware of the beauty of the garden here. Again, let your inner senses become more awake and acute at this time. Be aware of the colors, be aware of the fragrances, be aware of the sensations such as the breeze that is blowing gently through the trees. Be aware of the sounds as the leaves rustle in the breeze and the birds sing their song. And as you're walking through the garden, you can hear the babbling waters of a brook that is nearby. Listen to this brook and the sounds and see the beauty. Just take it all in. And as you continue walking, you begin to hear someone singing a song. A most beautiful song. Just be aware of the melody as it continues to float toward you. Begin to follow this song to where this person is that is singing to you, this song of love. Let yourself follow this sound, this song, to where this person is. And as you get close to them, you may find that it is someone that you know, and you may find that it is a stranger. Whoever it is, make your way up to them and listen to their song as they continue to sing to you. And as they finish singing this song, greet them in loving and receive their greeting. And if it is someone you do not know, introduce yourself and receive their introduction in loving. And then there be seated with them. And as you are seated here, Ask them if they have anything that they wish to share with you at this time, and then be open in your loving to receive what they wish to share.
And now they wish to share something else with you. They say that they want to take you on a journey of experience. And as they do, they point up into the sky and point up to the brilliant sun that shines above. And as they do, they tell you that this is a light, the light of loving, that fills this heavenly kingdom with its light of love and its song of joy. And they invite you now to take their hand and to begin to lift up and fly, fly above the garden into the sky and towards this brilliant light. This light is a light of healing and loving and caring. It's a light of transformation. It's the light of oneness. And as they take your hand and you begin to fly towards it, you begin to feel inside of yourself it's welcoming you, it's calling you, it's bringing you forward in this movement towards its own brilliant light. Be aware that this light is a light that is a radiant, grace-filled presence. It's warm, but it does not burn or destroy. It nurtures, it rebuilds, it restores, it renews. And as you go more and more into this brilliant light, you find yourself being renewed and restored and replenished. This light is filling you and surrounding you bringing health and balance and awakening every part of your consciousness to the greater knowing of the inner light, that light of the divine that you are and the light of the divine that it is. And with your friend from the garden, just go in now into the sun, into the light, into this presence and have experience here in this inner light.
and be aware of the oneness. Be aware of your teacher, your friend. Be aware of yourself. Be aware of this light. Be aware that you all one in this brilliant light. Be aware that you are radiating forth the brilliance of this light of the sun that you saw up in the sky. You are now one with and radiating out that brilliant loving light to all of creation. Just see this light radiating out now from you into all of your creation. And as this light reaches out to all that you are, all that you are creating, all that you are doing, to all those friends and family and situations. That light is extending out into all your prayers and wants and needs. This light is bringing balance it's bringing loving, forgiveness, acceptance in all the areas of your life and your creations. And your life is filled with this radiant light. And this light is the light of peace and quiet and ease. And your life is filled with this peace and ease. And there are no questions, there are no fears, there are no problems or concerns. There is peace, there is quiet, there is ease. And in all of this, there is fulfillment. The light of fulfillment shines forth from you now into all of you and your creations. And all is fulfilled, all is done according to the loving light. Just be in the knowing of this, be in the moment of this, allow it and be it. And in your own self now, say, I am the light of love. I am the song of joy. I am the light of love. I am the song of joy. And wherever I go, this light shines forth and this song is sung so that all might see and all might know the light of joy and love wherever I go.
And now in this light, in this brilliant sun, your friend takes your hand and you begin to journey back across the sky, back down towards the garden. Ever aware that this light is brilliantly shining now in you and through you, that you and the light and the sky are one, one and the same. There is no separation. And that, that light that shines in the sky so brilliantly also shines brilliantly in you, through you, around you, wherever you go. So bring this light of loving into the garden and let this light nurture all that is here. Let all living things be filled with this light and let this garden be a brilliant place of loving and of joy. And now your friend, continuing to hold your hand, takes you through the gate as the angel opens it wide and brings you back down the path to the very center of your forehead, continuing to know that you are this brilliant light and that this light radiates in you and through you, even as you find yourself coming back into the third eye, back into this physical body, let this light continue to shine in you and through you and into your body and into the surrounding areas, and into your life in the physical. And thank your friend for this wonderful journey and these great awarenesses. And as you're ready, again, to bring your awareness more present in this room, You might find yourself taking a deep breath or two just to anchor yourself more into the physical body. And when you're ready, you can open your eyes. You know, it's very interesting. When we begin to walk a spiritual path, we begin to walk a spiritual journey, we think it starts at a particular point in time when all of a sudden we walk into a particular place, or we meet a group of people, or we read a certain book, or we begin to do a certain practice. But in truth, your spiritual path began when you took your first breath in this body. That was the beginning of a spiritual journey. The spirit in you began a new journey in this body and in this creation. And it is really about that spiritual journey that I am here to share with you about and not the journey that often people see themselves beginning to walk when they do pick up a book or attend a class or learn a certain practice of meditation. 
This is about life. And this is about the experience of living that life to the fullest. And something that I have found is that oftentimes we tend to separate ourselves from certain opportunities of experience and learning rather than moving into everything with the consciousness and awareness of opportunity, we tend to do separation and say, this is good, this is bad, this is what I want, this is what I don't want, I won't go there, but I will go there. And we often avoid where our greatest lessons rest. One thing that I have found for myself is that those things that seem the darkest, those things that I look at and I go, no, no, I don't want to go there, I don't want to do that, is the exact place where my greatest learning is. And if I will just allow myself to relax and to walk the journey into that area of my life, I will learn more there than I have ever learned walking on the other side of the street where it's sunny and shiny and bright and easy. Because it is in that dark place that some of my greatest ability, some of my greatest awarenesses lie. And where I can learn the greatest of lessons. Oftentimes we will hide in our unconscious and in our subconscious those things that we want to avoid. We put it into those dark cavities in our consciousness and say, go in there and hide. I can't see you, therefore I don't have to do you. And yet that is where our lessons, our greatest lessons reside. So in life I have found that for myself to go in all the areas of experience and not just into those places that look fun and easy and I've done it before and I know how to do it, but rather to walk even into those places that are fearful and frightening and to do those as well. I can remember years ago when I was going to take a trip to Egypt. I started having dreams about Egypt and dying in Egypt. I began to see this one particular place in Egypt on a bus where this would happen. And I began to grow fearful about this trip and I wanted to cancel it. But the problem was I had 93 people signed up and I was the one leading the trip. <laughs> so I couldn't say, well, I'm not going to go because that meant all 93 other people were not going to go because I was the one who put the trip together and I was the one that was going to be guiding them through Egypt. And at the same time, I'm struggling with my own fear going, oh my God, I don't want to do this trip. I don't want to go there and die. I knew this place very well because in my dream, it was very, very clear where I was near this temple that I really enjoyed so much. As the trip got closer and closer, I became more and more frightened inside. And I began to try to find out how I could somehow get us not to go to that temple, get us to go around that location. And no matter what I did, I even called the archaeologist in Egypt that was going to be with me, who knew the journey very well. I kept saying, well, isn't there a way we can just kind of go past that and, and not, not go there? And he said, no, there's only one road that we're going to take, and this road is going to take us right by there no matter what. There's no way to get around that and come out another place. We've got to either go there 
or we don't go to that part of Egypt at all. So I had to make up my mind that I would just take the journey and I would go and do whatever it took in that area. And if it meant I would die, well, then I would die. Now, I say that very lightly, but in my own consciousness, I was really afraid. I didn't want to die. I didn't want to die in this time. I had a lot to do. I had a lot of goals I had set for myself, a lot of things I felt that I was here to fulfill. And I couldn't see dying as a part of that fulfillment. But if that's what this dream was indicating and what I was supposed to do, then I was going to go do it. We got down to the southern part of Egypt and we got on the buses and we started getting closer and closer each day to this particular temple and to this particular section of the road. The night before we started on that journey going past this temple and into the temple where this was located, we got notification that a lot of the Egyptian fanatics were on the uprise. And this whole area of Egypt was an area that they really had control of, but that there was nothing that we could do now, that we were so far into the region that we couldn't go back any easier than we could go forward. And at least if we went forward, we could get out of the region and get into a safer place, and that Egypt would have military officials over there waiting for us. But we had to get there because they weren't going to come to us because of all this new uprising that was starting. So I knew that, that, okay, well, tomorrow is my death day because they were right around this whole region we were in. And we were a group of Americans traveling to an area that did not like Americans and did not want them there. But up until then, it had been pretty safe. I just figured, well, I'll do it. We'll get in the bus tomorrow and I'll just, I'll, I'll take the journey. We got in the bus and as we started driving off, I realized that I was dealing with my own fear. It wasn't about death, it was about fear. So I began to just look at this energy of fear that was in front of me and it was running through me, just trying to grab a hold of something inside of me that could shake me and make me even more fearful. I realized it wasn't about dying, it was this energy of fear that I was having to confront. I just relaxed and I looked at it and I said, whatever this is, whatever it's about, I'm going to move through it or around it, under it, over it, whatever it is I'm to do to learn the lesson here. So we got closer and closer to the place the fear got stronger and stronger. And then all of a sudden, it was like right in my face. And I looked, and I saw that it was really a great sense of compassion. Compassion that I had not allowed in to myself. Compassion that I knew, and a compassion that I shared with others, but I had never allowed it in for myself. And every time that that energy of compassion would approach to come and nurture me, I would push it aside. I would say, oh, no, 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 no. As this energy of fear began to really confront me and I began to move into it, I first came up to this sense of unworthiness, this veil of unworthiness. 
And I thought, well, that's a strange element for fear, unworthiness. What does unworthiness have to do with fear? And then as I began to move more into this energy, I realized that this had nothing to do with fear at all. It is something that I just put an interpretation on as fear. I had defined it as something called fear, but it wasn't really fear. So as I began to look at it in a new light, all of a sudden I saw beyond this veil of unworthiness, this wonderful, radiant compassion just waiting to come in. What I was calling fear was this unworthiness and an element of fear of letting it in because I was unworthy and I didn't know what it would do to me if I let it in, being unworthy. So I just relaxed. I said, okay, if this is going to kill me, then this isn't a bad way to go, getting flooded with compassion. So I just relaxed and allowed myself to break through that veil of unworthiness and go into the compassion. And this loving just started moving through me. And it was very interesting because as it moved through me, it stopped right around here at the waist level. It just stopped and then it was pushing and pushing and pushing. And it was hurting. I mean, my intestinal tract was hurting. My solar plexus was hurting. I thought I was going to throw up. And I thought, oh, okay, so I am going to die of something. This this is going to squeeze something out of me and I'm going to die. So I just started breathing. I just said, I'm just going to breathe. I'm going to breathe in the compassion. So I kept breathing it in. It was interesting because I would breathe it in and it would go down and it would push even harder. So I realized, okay, what do I do here? How can I get this to move on through? I don't want to hold on. And then I realized I was holding on to something. I looked down inside and I saw this belt of darkness. And I looked at it and it was the same thing as the veil of unworthiness. And I had placed a judgment on myself a long time ago around my weight. And I had allowed this weight to create a barrier of separation between me and others, between me and situations, and even between me and God, called unworthy, because I had been so heavy that I was unworthy of love, I was unworthy of friendship, I was unworthy of whatever that was that created this belt of unworthiness in me. So I looked at that and I said, I love you. I love the fat, I love the food, I love the weight, I love who I am, I love who I was, I love all of it. I love you. And as I began to do that, this compassion came in in a way, it was like velvet. I don't even know how to even tell you what it really felt like, but it was like velvet. And it just began to move through this belt of darkness and begin to dissolve it. And it just slowly broke apart and fell to the ground and was gone. And then this wave of compassion just kept moving through me. Then I heard inside a teacher say, well, something had to die. 
that which had been separating you from life finally is dead. And now you can start to truly live. So I realized that this judgment that I had on myself all these years had separated me from a part of my own living of my life. That something had to die that day. And that that's where it was going to die. So as we drove on, I'm going, the mind kicks in, and the mind goes, well, why there in Egypt? Why at that spot? Why just before that temple? What? Why that spot? You know, the mind, how it works. It's got to know why. I didn't get anything because I had to take them into the temple. We had to do all this temple site. Then we went on to another temple, did another temple, and went to the hotel. Laid down, went to bed finally. And as I was going to sleep, the same teacher came in again on the inner levels and said, okay, here's how it reads. In another lifetime, here in Egypt, at that temple, you lived. And at that time, you placed judgments on people if they did not live up according to your standards. You saw a spiritual pathway having certain standards that people had to conform to. And as you placed judgments out on them, they began to live in you. And those judgments have created that separation between you and that level and quality of compassion that you have experienced today. That veil of fear, that veil of unworthiness had separated you from your unconditional loving and your compassion. In all these centuries, you have been working through a lot of that which you placed on other people and living it within yourself. And this is the final element of that. And you were to return back to this place of its conception so that you could bring a rest to your own creation. Now do you understand what it is to be responsible for every thought and for every feeling and for your creations? And I went, yes, please don't let me do that again. (laughs) And they said, if you have this experience always in front of you, reminding you of what that is when you do create for yourself ill will within yourself and others, you will not do it again because you will not want to go through the hell that you went through. And I went, I don't remember going through hell. And then they took me through this journey of this lifetime with all the stuff about my weight and my judgment and my separation And I can remember as we were going through this whole experience, I'm going, okay, 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 I get it. They go, no, there's more. (laughs) And I had to go the, the whole lifetime right up to that moment and see all the places, consciously and unconsciously, that I had placed judgment and separation within myself and with myself, with others, because of all that. And they said, now what are you going to do? And I said, I'm going to do loving. I'm going to choose loving. I'm going to choose forgiveness and acceptance and step forward into that now. 
And they said, we'll see if you do. We'll see if you do. And so the next day we got up, we got on the bus, and we started on our journey. And I was feeling great because, wow, I had just had a wonderful experience and these karmas of lifetimes had been destroyed, dissolved, gone. On the bus, we're driving. We come up to the place where we're going to have lunch and we're all getting off and we're going in to sit down at this little restaurant at a hotel and people are starting to order. Some people are ordering little meals and some people are ordering big meals. And all of a sudden, I hear inside myself this little judgment. Why are they eating so much? We're not doing that much today. They don't need to eat all those calories. And I'm going, wait, stop it, shut up. (laughs) Who's in there? What's going on? And I realized that little voice inside that had been running all this lifetime that I had put on myself and I was putting on others, I had to take responsibility for. And so I just started listening to that voice go on and on and on, and I began to try to control it. And I realized the more I tried to control it, the stronger it got, the louder it got, the more judgmental it got. And I thought, that's not right. I should be able to just stop it, to shut it up. But it wouldn't. So... I sat back and I just said, okay, I give up. I don't know what to do here. And all of a sudden, I saw the face of the judgment turn and look at me and go, well, it's about time. (laughs) And literally, it was a face. And it was a face of myself as a little boy. It said to me, why don't we stop this. I want to not do this anymore. Can you join me in not doing it? And I said, how do I do that? And the little boy said, become like me. Let's just be playful. Let's make it a game. Let's not make it a judgment. And I said, well, where did the judgment come from? And he took me and showed me the scene where I was a boy of six years old and I was going to first grade. Boy, this is not where I thought we were going to go at all, but this is okay. (laughs) I'm just kind of following the energy. And at six years old, I went to first grade and I went in and I only weighed 36 pounds. I was very, very thin. And the nurse at the school, and I don't remember this consciously, but in the scene I saw it, The nurse in the school called my mother very concerned about me and wondered if she was not feeding me right or not feeding me enough. And so my mother came in and that started this whole journey on how to gain weight. How was she going to get me to gain weight? It was through her energy of her desire to get me heavier that Finally, at the age of nine years old, my consciousness shifted into agreement with her, and I gained weight. So at that point in time, at nine years old, when I saw that, the little boy said, Now you see, that's not you. That's your mom living in you. Do we want her living in us anymore? And I go, No, but I didn't know she was living in me like that. <laughs> 
He said, now you know it. What are we going to do about it? So we began to play with it. We began to be playful. And out of that came this whole statement of acceptance, of loving my mother and accepting her just as she is. And all the things that she taught me, she taught me according to what she knew best to do. And that that was for my own loving and her expression of loving toward me. And I made it okay. As I began to move that energy, I began to see these crystallizations in my aura break apart and fall to the ground. And I realized that all these things that I had thought were beautiful sparklers or crystals in my aura, that I used to look at and go, wow, that's kind of pretty, when it would kind of sparkle and catch my attention, those were my mother's belief systems that she had placed around me that she had focused on me and given to me that I would gain weight. These were crystallizations of her loving. So when I would look at them, I would see the sparkle and I'd go, oh, wow, that's neat. And that would be the sensation of her loving me once again. Well, when these all of a sudden dissolved and fell, I realized that they hadn't really supported me the way I thought they were and that they weren't as beautiful as I thought they were. And that as they fell, I found myself standing, feeling naked. I felt naked. I had to begin to clothe myself in my own belief systems, in my own consciousness, in my own truth, in my own awareness of myself. And not stand and live in that consciousness that my mother had given me. Now, I was 32 years old at this time. So... I had lived from the age of six to the age of 32 working this, running this, living this, believing this all the time. And I remember very clearly sitting down in my room that night starting to judge myself. Why in the world did it take me so long? What's wrong with me? Aren't I ever going to learn? And that little boy popped up and he said, would you just stop it? And I said, oh, okay, okay, I know, we're not doing that. Okay. And so every now and then, that little boy still pops up and says, wait a minute, we're not going there, we're not doing that. Would you just stop it? And it's interesting because a few years ago, I was moving into a new element and a new expression of my own life that has led me into this action of initiation that I'm now doing with people on a spiritual pathway. As I began to move in that direction, God came in and said, I'm going to give you a child to play with. I'm going to give you a child that will constantly remind you not to go down those avenues anymore. Because I still find myself playing those little games. As I began to move towards this process of initiation, I began to look for the child inside. Well, where is it? When is it going to come about? You know, And I kept looking, and the other one was always there. But I thought, well, I'm going to get a new one soon. Where is it? Where are you? You've got another lesson to teach me. And then all of a sudden, one day, Brian shows up. And if you've been around Brian enough, 
you'll know that he is a little child <laughs> in a big body. And all of a sudden, I have the outer child and the inner child ever present. I can't get away from it now. <laughs> and I cannot live in my stuff anymore. The inner child's always there saying, stop it, don't do it, don't go there, what are you doing? If the inner child isn't there, the outer child's going, why are you doing that? We don't need to go there. You've done that already. Don't do it again. And constantly reminding me on the outer. So I now have both an inner and an outer awakening and awareness of the child ever being playful and drawing me back into the playfulness and drawing me back into the loving and letting go of those things that don't really serve the spirit. So I guess one thing I, I want to share with you is that just because you are walking consciously a spiritual path doesn't mean necessarily life is going to get easier or life is going to get simpler. It does mean that you're going to begin to live life more fully and understand who you are in the living of that life. But it doesn't mean necessarily that all of a sudden okay, now I can sit back, it's going to be easy. You know, God's with me now, and I don't have to worry anymore. Well, you didn't have to worry before, so you don't have to worry now. And God was with you before, so God's also with you now. Yet, those lessons that were with you are still with you. Those things that are to be learned are still present to be learned. They don't drop away. If anything, they come up more to the forefront. And all of a sudden, we begin to feel the pressure of those, and we go, well, you're not supposed to be here now. Go away. I'm doing spirit. You know, i got God on my side now. Go away. And they're going, well, but I am God on your side. Let me stay. Let me be a partner with you in this so that you truly learn and grow and become that God being in you to the fullest. And that's something that I have found. I can remember when I was 18 years old and I was working one day at the hardware store that I was working at and I was aware of this man and woman that came in and they were quite wealthy. They had come in to buy and pick out paint for their home that they were building. I began to be very aware that in the position I was in, I was never going to make the money that they made. He was a medical doctor. He was a surgeon. And he had a lot of money. He had made a lot of money, and he was living very well. As we were going through, looking at different colors with the designer that they had, and laying them all out with all these different pieces of material and, and things, and it was very interesting. They were designing the whole house. They had bought a, a painting, a blue bonnet painting, by Porfirio Salinas, who was a very well-known artist of the time because Lyndon Johnson really liked him and that made him internationally known. So they bought this blue bonnet painting. It was a 24 by 36, I remember it very well. And they had built their whole house around this painting. This whole house was built around this painting. All the colors, everything. And their living room, all focused towards this painting. The other rooms on both sides all focused you into the room 
and towards this painting. And all the colors guided you like a path towards it. It was just amazing what they were doing. And I actually got to go to their housewarming to see what they had done, and it really was very, very attractive. But it was amazing that they were, were doing this. And I couldn't believe that somebody had that much money that they could build a house around one painting that they really liked and do that. And so I remember going into judgment with myself that, you know, I wasn't going to college, I wasn't going to ever have the education or the career, and because of that I was never going to have this kind of money. And I thought, you know, to myself, boy, what's wrong with me? And I began to look at that at the age of 18. And I realized something very profound, that it isn't about the outer, it's about the inner. The way I found that was, I remember going into meditation that night, and really at the time I called it prayer, it was a prayer. And I was praying with God, and I was talking to God, and I was telling God how mad I was. You know, why didn't I have the money to go to college? Why didn't I have the smarts to be able to get the grades to go to college and, and get a scholarship? I began to lay it all out, and as I did, I began to see this mountain of gold, all these gold coins and bullion and everything just start appearing before me. And as it all appeared before me, I heard inside a voice. And it said, so, you want all of this? And I said, can I have it? I remember really thinking, you know, God's going to say yes, and I would have all this gold. Somehow it would happen. I said, can I have it? And they said, do you really want it? And I said, well, yes. You know, I, I, I think I do. I mean, it would give me comfort and ease in life. I could do the things I want to do. I could live a life that would be joyful and comfortable. You know, I mean, look at that couple. Look how happy they are. Look how they've got everything that they want and they can build a house around a painting. Why can't I do that? Well, I would, I would love to have the education. I would love to have the opportunity to, to build gold like they've got gold built up, apparently. And the voice said, let me show you where the real riches lie. And we flew up above this mountain of gold to the very top. And at the top was this rock. And this rock was just an old, dirty rock that was sitting on the top of all this gold. And this man walked up to the top of the mountain and he picked up this rock and he said, do you know how long I have journeyed to get this? And I said, what? What? I mean, look, look, I mean, you could have all this gold. You know, why did you climb all the way up to the top of this for a rock when, look at all the gold. He says, that's nothing. That's nothing. He said, this is everything. He said, when you have this, then you have the truth. Then you have it all. And I said, a rock? And he said, oh no, this isn't a rock. And he took out a knife and he stuck it into the rock and he pried it open and all of a sudden I realized it was an oyster. And it popped open and there was a pearl inside. And he pulled it out and he said, this is what I wanted. 
This is what I came up here for. It's the pearl of great price. When you have that, you don't need this mountain of gold. You have something much more valuable. And then it all disappeared, and the voice said, so what do you want? Do you want the mountain of gold, or do you want the pearl of great price? And I said, okay, I'll play the game. I want the pearl of great price. And that was the end of the, of the experience. I woke up the next morning, went to work, but all of a sudden I had a little bit more joy. There was a little bit more something there. And she came back in to start working on the project again and picking out more things. And I had joy with her. And I sat and I talked with her as we were going through these things, waiting for her decorator to come. And she said, you know, I wish I had a good marriage. And I went, whoa, <laughs> what? <laughs> you know, I thought you all were happy. I said, I'm going, oh, what? <laughs> you know, this isn't what I was expecting to hear. She said, we wouldn't be building this house if I was really happy. But I've got to keep doing things to find happiness. And right now, this house and this project of building this house around a painting is making me happy. And he'll do whatever he can to keep me happy because he doesn't want me unhappy. And he doesn't know how to make me happy other than just to keep doing this for me. I asked her, I said, so what do you want? What do you really want? And she said, I would like for him to just sit down and talk with me. Not talk to me, not talk at me, but talk with me. And listen to what I have to say and begin to share with me his truth and let me share my truth. I have never, ever, ever shared my truth. He doesn't even know what I believe, what I think is right and wrong, what is true, what is up and down. And as I listened to her, I realized I didn't want that mountain of gold and all that went with it because it was a lot that went with that mountain of gold. I did want that pearl of great price. And so I began this journey, this journey of discovery, of finding that pearl of great price. And I looked for it, I looked for it, and I looked for it. I looked for it in the world, I looked for it in teachers, and I thought at the age of 18, almost 19, I thought I found it in a teacher. I thought, oh, there it is. It's in him. Whenever he spoke, it was just blessings to my ears. I was just gaining and gaining in all this information, all this wisdom, I thought, that was the pearl of great price. Until one day he sat down with me and he said, so what's going on with you? And what we did, it was a lot of fun. He would take me to this coffee shop and we would sit at this coffee table, at this coffee shop, at this table. And he would be on one side at the booth and I'd be on the other side. And I would ask him a question, and he would ask me a question. And I would ask him a question, and he would ask me a question. And he never really answered me. In all these conversations, I got very few answers out of him. It was always just another question. To stir in me the search to understand myself. So he said, what is it you're really looking for? 
And I said, in truth, I want the pearl of great price, whatever that is. And he said, so you think I've got it? And I said, oh, I know you've got it. He said, do you think that listening to me talk and share is going to give you the pearl of great price? Do you think if I had it, I'm going to give it away to you? And I said, well, I thought so. <laughs> I said, how do you get the pearl of great price? He says, you don't get it from another person. You don't get it out here. And I said, then where do you get it? I want it. I was hungry for it now. I couldn't get the gold. I didn't know if I wanted the gold now, but I knew I wanted this pearl of great price. And he said something to me. It was almost as though he had been in the experience. He said, you've got to open the oyster to find the pearl of great price. And I went, what? <laughs> you've got to open the oyster? What does that mean? And he says, you find out. And I said, great, you're a great teacher. And I got up to leave and he said, sit down. He said, I'm not a great teacher. No one's a great teacher except for themselves. You are your great teacher. Remember that. Don't look to anybody else to be your teacher. You are the one who will teach yourself. Through your own experience, through your own paying attention, through your own awakening. So I got up, I left, I went home, and I just sat down and I said, okay, God, we're going to talk. What is this thing about this oyster? And where do I find this oyster to get this pearl of great price? And I felt a finger touch me right here. And I jumped because I had my eyes closed. <laughs> and I thought my father had come in, <laughs> which he would do sometimes when I was in my prayer. But he never touched me before. But I thought, oh my God. You know, so I jumped and I opened my eyes and nobody was there. So I thought, man, what was that? So I closed my eyes again and I went back into my prayer and I said, okay, God, where is this oyster that I've got to find to get the pearl of great price? And all of a sudden I felt a finger and I opened my eyes and there was nothing there. But I could still feel the finger. And I went, okay whatever that's about, okay. And I closed my eyes and I said, so where do I go to find that pearl of great price? And it went <laughs> three times. <laughs> and I, I'm a little slow. <laughs> and I went, oh, oh, okay. So I've got to come up there. And that's where I began to understand more about this process of holding your attention here at the third eye. Now, I didn't know it termed as the third eye or the seat of the soul at that time, but I knew that that's where I was to hold my attention, and I would find the oyster. So I began to hold my attention here more as I would pray. And as I did, one day I was walking along this path, and there was this beautiful mountain in front of me. I began to walk past the mountain, and then I heard a song. And I turned back to listen to the song, and I began to follow the song, and it led me up a pathway. And I climbed, and I climbed, and I climbed, until I just couldn't climb anymore. And I sat down. 
and I looked out over the area that I was above, and it was just beautiful. When you go inside and you really begin to have the inner journey, and you begin to really rise above these levels of this creation, you begin to see the greater beauty that really resides in the inner kingdom. And all of a sudden I began to be aware of that beauty. And I looked up and I began to hear the song still being sung high above me. So I said, okay, let's keep going. You know, there's something up there. I've got to go find out what it is. So I began climbing once again. And as I climbed, I finally got to the very top. And as I did, I came up and there was this bucket. And this bucket was full of mud. So I just walked on past it. I went, oh, well, you know, a bucket of mud. And I walked on past it. <laughs> and as I did, I realized that the song was coming from the bucket of mud. And I'm going, wait a minute, mud can't sing. <laughs> but it was. The song was coming out of the bucket of mud. So I walked back over to the bucket and I said, so you can sing. What, what is this about? What, are you, what am I get, supposed to learn here? And so I sat down and I listened to the song and I looked at this bucket of mud, not knowing what to do. And at the same time I was looking at it, I had this urge that somehow I needed to reach inside and reach down into the very bottom of the mud. But I didn't want to. I didn't want to get dirty. I didn't want to feel the mud. You know that fear that separates us sometimes from our own experience? I didn't want to go into it. So I looked around and I knew I wanted to get to the bottom of the bucket. And I didn't know how to do it. So I thought, well, I'll take and I'll pick up the bucket and I'll turn it over and I'll empty it out and I'll see what's on the bottom. So I picked up the bucket and I turned it over and I pounded it a couple of times and I let go of it. And all of a sudden, the bucket was right side up full of mud. I'm going, wait a minute, I just turned you over. And all the time the song is still coming from the bucket of mud. So I'm going, okay, what am I going to do here? So finally I just decided I'm going to go for it. I don't know how else to get to the bottom of it to see what's there. So I stuck my hand into the mud. And as I did, it began to shine very brightly. And the mud began to clear. And all of a sudden, it was a bucket of water. And all I needed to do was put my hand into it, and it became clear. And as I looked down, as I was reaching down, there was the oyster. But as I reached for it, it seemed to go further and further down. <laughs> and all of a sudden, this bucket was like a mile deep. And I'm, I'm, I, I'm going, I don't think my arm's going to be long enough. <laughs> How am I going to get this thing? So I sat back down, and I'm going, how do I get that oyster? I want that oyster, because I know that's where the pearl is. So I sat down and I'm thinking about it and I'm going, now, I can't tip it over. It, it just keeps writing itself back up or whatever that is that's going on. And if I reach into it, it seems to go further and further away. So how do I get it? And all the time, this bucket of water with the oyster in it now is singing to me. And all of a sudden, I don't know where it came from, 
But inside, I started singing. I started singing the song that I heard being sung. I just began to sing the song. And I sung it, and I sung it, and I sung it. And I could feel myself just being filled up with a bubbly joy. It was effervescent, is the only way I can describe it. All these little bubbles. Have you ever poured a glass of 7-Up or effervescent mineral water? The carbonation just starts to bubble up on the side of the glass, little bubbles all over the place. It felt like that inside. I was getting all bubbly. So I just kept singing this song along with the song that was coming out of the bucket. And as I did, the oyster started coming up to the surface of the water. And I started to reach for it, and it went back down. And I went, okay, <laughs> what's going on here? So I just sang, and I sang, and I sang. And as I did, the oyster floated up and was right in front of me. So I thought, well, now I can get it. So I started to reach for it, and it started going back to the pail of water. And I, I tried to get underneath it, and it was down in the water before I got to it. So I said, okay, I'll just keep singing, and I'll see what happens. So I sang this song, and as I did, the oyster came back up, and it began to open. There was this part of me that just wanted to grab the pearl real quick before it went away, but I didn't. I just kept singing. And as I sang the song... All of a sudden, the pearl rose up out of the oyster, and it just went like that into my forehead. And all of a sudden, I had the pearl of great price. As it went in, it said, Sing my song, and you will know. Sing my song, and you will be. Sing my song, and there's nowhere to go. Sing my song, and you and God are one. And so since that time, I have always looked inside to sing that song. Now the song that that is, is the audible life stream. That divine melody that comes out of the heart of God, that place where we came from, is being sung eternally. And it's ever there being sung waiting for us one day to begin to hear that great song and for us to begin to sing that song with it so that we can begin to go back to where we came from. It's singing that song that we hear being sung and becoming one with it is how we get this pearl of great price, how we return back from which we came. It isn't about mountains of gold in the world, but it is about something of great value that we have inside to discover. But what we have done is we have encased that pearl of great price with many, many different layers of shell, just like an oyster. The oyster protects itself with its shell membrane outside. We, over eons of time, through many different re-embodiments, have created this shell of protection. And at first we thought that was the only way to survive 
was to put this protection up and to keep making it thicker and thicker and thicker so that nothing could permeate it, nothing could come in and harm us in any way. And we found ourselves eventually blocked off from our own truth, blocked off from our own experience. And it's up to us now to begin to melt away that shell that we have created as protection. And so that means one thing, no more protection, but vulnerability. Be open, be vulnerable, be available to the movement of spirit, however it wants to move, in you, around you, however. And know that that is your true protection. Just as I was trying to protect myself from dying, and ultimately I realized that I was trying to protect myself from my judgments about my own weight, so too we have created all these levels of protection and that has separated ourselves from our own pearl of great price. We now can begin that journey if we haven't already by closing our eyes and going inside and singing that song of love. That song of love that begins the process of melting away the shell. And it really opens the shell to open. If you sing that song, the oyster just opens itself in total vulnerability and reveals its inner beauty, that pearl of great price. And once again, it can begin to live in you and through you. Then you know your truth. You know your loving. You know who you truly are. And no one can give that to you. No one in this world can give it to you. Only you can give it to yourself. And the way you do that is every day devoting some time to the divine in you. Sitting down and closing your eyes and just holding your attention here and just going, Lord, I love you. I love you. I love you. I love you. And then opening in vulnerability as that oyster opened itself to me and allow the loving of the Lord in. And then you begin to hear the song and you begin to sing the song of love that opens that vulnerable place inside of you, allows you to move into vulnerability that you might live that pearl of great price. So what is this pearl of great price? What does it have to offer me? What is its value? Well, it has no value in the world because it isn't of the world. It's of greater value than anything in the world because it is where your truth lies. Your truth, your loving, who you truly are lies in this pearl of great price. And once you have that in your possession and you know it, you feel it, you can see it, you begin to realize that that is where all knowledge, all awareness, all experience can be known. But the pearl of great price isn't a pearl. It's an essence. It's that divine spark that is your soul that came out of God 
and it is returning to God. And it glistens as a pearl. And so when you see it, you might see this brilliance and this softness at the same time that a pearl offers you when you look at it. There's a smooth quality. There's a soft quality. There's a brilliance to it. And that's what your soul can look like as you approach it. That is the pearl of great price. And that is where all wisdom, all knowledge, all truth lies. And once you have that in your possession, you have it all. And then it's up to you each day, just live in that as you go through the day. And just as I said earlier, life doesn't change a whole lot. You still have the same challenges, the same lessons, the same things to go through in life that you had before you began this quest of awakening. But it's different because now you do it in vulnerability, you do it in loving, you do it in acceptance, you do it because you know that this is what you really want. This is who you really are. And then life gets a lot easier and a lot simpler. But easy isn't wealthy, necessarily. Easy isn't that everything is easy in life. There may still be obstacles and challenges and difficulties, but it becomes fun. It becomes an adventure. It becomes an opportunity. And you approach things differently. And you'll know it. Because you'll look out into the world and you'll see people going through the same situations you are and you see them suffering and you're not. And then comes up this thing of, well, should I be suffering too? Am I supposed to suffer like that? I, I, I didn't remember that. You know, I, when I was reading today's manual, it didn't say I had to suffer. But they're suffering and they're going through what I'm going through, so I guess I should suffer too. I can remember when I came down with cancer and the doctor came in to tell me that I had cancer. I had spent nine days in the hospital going through surgery and tests and all these things. On the eighth day, he came in and said, well, I've got to tell you that you've got cancer. And we began to talk. And as we talked, I just went into acceptance. I said, okay, well, I've got cancer. Now, what do we do? What does this look like? What does this mean? What's the prognosis? What is the timeline that you see for me according to everything? And he didn't know what to do with my attitude toward it. And he started to cry. And I was comforting my doctor <laughs> who had just come in and told me I had cancer because he was crying and didn't know what to do and how to comfort me or console me. When we finished talking, he left all tearful and the nurse came in and said, are you okay? And I go, yeah, I'm fine. And she goes, what happened? <laughs> I've never seen a doctor leave a room before in tears. And I said, he told me I had cancer. She didn't say a thing, she left. And she came back a few minutes later and she says, I'm confused. <laughs> she said, he told you you have cancer, and then he leaves crying, and you're sitting in here seemingly okay. And I go, yeah. And she goes, 
this doesn't make sense. What's going on here? And I said, I just have a different approach to life than he does. And she said, I think you have a different approach to life than all of us do. <laughs> so for the next day, we spent a lot of time talking. And after that, she called me quite a lot at home to find out one, how I was doing, but also to find out more about what is this that I was doing that made me able to accept something so graciously and easily and, and just move into choices of what I'm going to do and how I'm going to handle it. I learned right then and there, I don't have to live life according to how other people live it. All I have to do is live according to the pearl of great price inside of me and my own truth and live that. That's what this pathway of sound and light is about. It's discovering where that pearl of great price is and how to sing the song that allows that oyster inside of you, that protection, to open up, to be vulnerable, and to reveal that pearl so that once again you can live the truth that you are. Don't protect. Don't defend. But rather, always open and be vulnerable. And you'll find that it's not always a lot of fun in the beginning, especially, to be open and vulnerable when lessons are coming at you and you want to go, go away, leave me alone. I don't want to hear that. Shut up. You're wrong. You don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> oh, God, I did that yesterday. What am I talking about? <laughs> it's ever choose back into vulnerability and realize that you're going to play the game of protection. It is just a natural process of the physical nature to protect. It is the natural process of the spirit to open. So where are you living? The body or the spirit? Who are you? The body or the spirit? Well, you may be a little bit of both. I'm sort of the body and I'm sort of the spirit and I'm right now confused and I don't know which I am. I'm trying to be spiritual, but I'm also a physical body, and I don't know how to do that. And that's fine. Experiment. Play with it. See what vulnerability looks like and what it doesn't look like. And begin to choose into it as much as you can. And when somebody sits down and starts harping on you and telling you all the things you're doing wrong, that's the time to really be open and vulnerable and go, hey, tell it to me like it is. Let me hear it all. Be open to receive it all. It doesn't mean you have to believe it all, but just be open to it. And then realize, hey, I can choose whatever I want out of that conversation. I can say, okay, well, that's mine, that's mine, but that's theirs, they can have it. That's theirs, they can have it, but that's mine, I'll take it. Okay, so here's some things I've been denying or I haven't been willing to look at. or you know, Now this is closer in my consciousness, now I can start to do something with it where I've just hidden it away. You know, the one thing I found in my life is I'm the last to know. <laughs> Have you ever noticed that? Everybody out there knows what's going on in my life. They know that I'm upset. They know I'm in trouble. They know I'm bothered. They know I'm sad. They know I'm depressed. And all the time I think, I've got this great facade up. Nobody knows what's going on. I can just play this little game 
and nobody knows. And all the time, everybody out there knows what's going on except me. Because I'm defending my facade. I'm holding it up. I've got to keep it alive. So I don't have time to pay attention to what's really going on. So that's why I'm saying be open and vulnerable to what people might have to share with you because you might just get a revelation. And you might go, oh my God, everybody knows. Now what do I do? That facade didn't work, so i got to put a new one. No, you don't. Tear them all down. Let them all fall apart. And just live who you are. And see where that takes you. And I can promise you, it will take you into a much better place than living behind that facade ever did. So I just invite you to begin to play this game. Let the child inside of you come alive. Begin to play with that child. Be childlike in the world. What did Jesus say? But to enter into the kingdom of heaven, you have to become as one of these children. You have to be childlike. The adult doesn't get there. The mind doesn't get there. The emotions doesn't get there. But the child of God gets there. So become a child of God again. Be open, be vulnerable, be playful, be loving, be investigative, and find out what that is to once again be the child of God. And also be aware that the pathway is an inner pathway. The inner kingdom is where you find the child of God. The inner kingdom is where you find the pearl of great price. And so sit down every day and give time for God. Give time with God. However you want to do that. Whatever way works for you. Prayer, meditation, quiet. I found that doing the path of sound and light, getting the names of God through initiation, and singing that song of love inside was the way that I got there that I am able to walk up to the mountaintop and stay at the mountaintop longer and longer at every time. But you still have to come down from the mountaintop and go back out into the world and do the world. But you know the mountaintop. You have a reference point and you can also be living there while you're here. You can be multidimensional and not trapped just in this world. How many people today walk around this world feeling lost and alone and trapped, hoping somehow, some way, they're going to find the way out, the way to love, the way to something other than what they've got? I know I felt that, and I would not be surprised if you yourself have not felt that sense of aloneness and cut off from the truth of who you are. But be aware you're never cut off. But maybe you're looking in the wrong direction. It isn't out in the world. The definition of who you are isn't in the world. The truth of who you are isn't in the world. It's only inside. So just as I had to confront the fear of death that day on the bus, and I began to see that veil that separated me from the greater knowing of myself, that veil of unworthiness. So too, 
you may have to come up against these veils of unworthiness, of not trusting, of not loving, of not accepting, whatever that veil may be, and it'll be up to you just to walk on through it. Don't judge it. Don't try to figure it out. Because, I mean, you can sit in front of the veil of unworthiness for many lifetimes trying to figure it out. And you can take it apart thread by thread, thinking, well, as soon as I get to that one thread that has all the truth, I'll know it. Well, no, you won't. The trick is, is just to walk on through it and get to the other side of it. And once you're on the other side of it, then you'll know it. You'll never figure it out on this side. Only when you go inside and look at it from a different perspective. This concludes this seminar. If you want to know more about Inner Light Ministries, write to us at ILM PO Box 164332, Austin, Texas 78716, or call 512-306-1056. Thank you and God bless.